morning. It's a privilege to start off this new year with you, to bring you God's word. I wonder, did you ever think that 2020 was going to end? You know, a lot could be said about 2020, a lot has been said about 2020. So difficult for so many, so painful for so many. But instead of focusing on 2020 this morning, I'd like for us to look forward in hope to 2021. That's the beautiful thing about New Year's, right? You get to step back, you get to start afresh, and you get to re-examine things. You get to maybe reorient your priorities, think about goals. And I think our passage is, is great for that this morning. Before I forget, my son, my youngest son, reminded me that I needed to do word of the day. So uh, shout out to James. Um, thank you, James. So the word of the day, kids, is love. Just be, keep your ears out for that word of the day. Um, you know, I, I entitled this sermon, uh, What to Wear in the New Year. Sounds pretty strange, doesn't it? And where I got that is in our passage, right before our passage, Paul talks about put off or, or take off our old nature. And in our passage, we're going to see put on all these godly virtues. And it's the same Greek word for clothes. It's as if Paul's telling us, take off all those dirty clothes that you have, all those muddy, gross, sinful clothes that you used to live in, and, and put on the the, the godly robe that befits a Christian. Do you want that this morning? Do you want that for 2021? Do you want to live more effective lives for the kingdom of God? Do you want to live more for God and his glory, your neighbor, this church? I think our passage can help us with that this morning. That's where we're going, but... It won't happen on autopilot. You can't just sit here, hear these words, and be good to go for the rest of the year. So I think we should start with, with prayer. Let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless our time this morning. Oh Lord, we want that. We want to turn from old rags to glorious robes. I pray that you would teach us to put on all these godly virtues that you displayed so excellently in, in your son. Lord, I pray that you'd help us not only understand these things, I pray that you'd give us a desire, a longing to run after these things hard. I pray that you would use your word in power this morning to cut through our defenses, go straight to our heart and change us. Lord, we do want to be changed by you this morning. I pray that you would use your word to do that very thing. And I pray you would do it not just for our sake, not just for the sake of those around us. I, I pray you would do it that we would magnify your name in 2021. So help us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
meant to tell you earlier, just take out your Bibles if you could. Our passage is Colossians chapter 3. And I would ask you to give your special attention to the reading of God's Word. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant Word given to us that we might know the living and true God and grow closer to Him. Beginning in verse 12 of chapter 3. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a short passage this morning, just three verses. But I have a four-point sermon this morning. How did I manage that? So uh, one point per verse, but then I want to end with motivation, why we should do the things that God's calling us to do in our passage. So let's begin with verse 12. Look again at it with me. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You know, five sermons could be preached on these five virtues. Not going to do that to you this morning. Uh, But let's just... I want to briefly hit all all five of these. First, compassionate hearts. Some translate it just compassion. It's actually a difficult word to translate. And it's because literally this word means bowels of mercy. You see, we think of compassion, emotions coming from our heart. Kind of makes sense, right? Our our heart can speed up because of our emotions, but in the ancient Near East, they thought that compassion or mercy was located in the bowels. Fun fact for you this morning. So what does it mean to have bowels of mercy or a compassionate heart? Well, I think first and foremost, it means that we are to feel things for those around us. Feel things and not just do good actions, but actually feel for those around us. I remember a few years ago, my wife sent me an article, and it was a a man, young man, 19 years old, out of Texas. His name was Logan Hunt, and um, it is a tragic story. He was adopted as a toddler, and that the, the adoption, for whatever reason, failed, and then he was returned back to the system. And he spent the next 15 years or so bouncing around the system, never having a home. And uh, the, the system failed him in many ways. And then when he was 18, he was aged out and he became homeless. I, I think of my own children. I, I think of uh, what that would be like for them. Many parents in this room, think about your own children not having any kind of family. And um, 
he, he described his life as just empty. No one to love him, no one to care for him, no one to watch over him. And uh, thankfully, the story, the story ends well. Uh, the news ran the story, and his biological sister ended up connecting with him. And she was adopted, and he connected her with her family, and, and that family ended up adopting him as well. It, it was a great ending. But, but think about those 19 years where this man struggled. Can you hear that story and, and it not affect you? And I know you don't know Logan Hunt. And I know compassion works different for different people. There's different temperaments, different way we're raised. But God calls us to be compassionate. He, he calls us to see people in need, in hurt, and to feel Jesus saw those like sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. My hope for all of you, including myself, is that 2021 would be a, a year full of compassion. Second virtue, kindness. What is kindness except the direct action from compassion? Compassion, we see hurt, we see, and we're, we're moved, and it's kindness that leads us to do something about it. Here's how James, the half-brother of Jesus, put it. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? The Christian life is one to be full of kindness and full of action. Third virtue, humility. Humility. My family and I just recently listened to an audio book. It's a, a fantasy book. I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, sorry. But it, it was loosely based on Eastern culture, sort of a, a shame honor shame culture and and all the characters have great deference and humility toward their elders and I, I remember listening and like wow is that not our culture we, we don't really value humility like we should and here's an illustration I've used with a lot of people I, I found it helpful I want you to imagine a man flexing in front of a mirror He's got his shirt off, he's just flexing, he's just going to town. He, he loves what he sees, and he keeps doing pose after pose after pose. What will we say about that guy? Besides a huge uh, preoccupation with his own physique, we probably would call him arrogant, right? He, he's full of pride, he likes what he sees, but now imagine another man who is flexing in the mirror, and, and he's just devastated. Because he has the same preoccupation with self, but he doesn't meet that standard. And he's, he's full of self-pity, perhaps even self-loathing, despair. Well, I, I would say that both those men struggle with pride. 
And we often think of pride in the first, right? We think of arrogance, but it's pride for the second man because he's so focused on himself, he just doesn't meet the standard that he so desperately wants to meet. And uh, if you think about, well, a, a pastor friend of mine once told me, and I never heard it before, probably wasn't original to him, but he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Don't you love that? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so this illustration, it's just the, both men turning away from the mirror and go focusing on other people. C.S. Lewis talked about humility being just sort of a self-forgetfulness. This is the kind of humility that we are called to in 2021. What about meekness? Meekness is very closely related to humility, and it just has to do with how do you respond when someone does something wrong to you? How do you respond when someone does something wrong to you? Jesus taught very famously about this in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember when he said, don't resist an evil man if he slaps you on the right cheek? What are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not saying there's no ever time to defend yourself. He's not talking about that because you rarely, if ever, are you in danger because you get slapped. Right? But your pride's in danger, isn't it? Just imagine you're out in public, perhaps at work, and doing nothing wrong. Someone slaps you across the face. How would you respond? You might say, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Jesus says, don't do that. Turn the other cheek. This is meekness. Think of Jesus' example during the crucifixion and leading up to it. He set an example for us to follow. Meekness. Lastly, for verse 12, patience. Patience. We need patience for a lot of things. Sometimes you're going through a very difficult situation. King James Version translates this long-suffering. We need to suffer long through a difficulty. Sometimes we need to suffer long with other people. And of all this list, I have to publicly confess, that this is number one hardest for me. And specifically with my family. I say this to my shame. I, I have an extremely long fuse with those outside my family. And too often an extremely short fuse with those in my family. And when I tell my kids 500 times, don't leave your shoes by the door. I, I think the 501st time it's never going to happen again. And I, and I get short. And, and I hate that. But, but here's what happens when I forget. I, I, I forget that I have sinned against my father thousands of times, tens of thousands of times. And how does he respond? With patience, with gentleness, with compassion. We need to mirror our father in heaven. We need to grow in patience. And 
And know that you can't just pull up your bootstraps and do that. I'd ask you to follow me. I've committed to the Lord that I'm going to pray like I have no other year before in this one particular area of patience. And by God's grace, I I pray that this would be a turning point in my own heart. It's something I'll always struggle with, but I want to see God work in miraculous ways. Grow me in patience this year. And you see how all of these virtues kind of build on themselves. You have compassion, but compassion leads you to kindness. You need kindness for humility. Humility helps you with meekness. Meekness helps you with patience. And patience leads us to our next point this morning, forgiveness. Our second point this morning is forgiveness. Look with me at verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Don't you love how the Apostle Paul would just kind of stick his foot in his mouth like over and over and over again? Um, sometimes he'd, he'd speak ignorantly. Other times he, he'd think he was doing the right thing and he, he'd just speak up and he'd be like, oh, Peter. Uh, one of those times was when Peter pipes up and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive people? Seven times? And, and no, during that day, three times, culturally speaking, three times is all you had to do. Like, you got three strikes, after that you're done. Uh, and so Peter's thinking, seven times? Seven? I mean, do I have to do it that many? I mean, I'll do it. Jesus says not seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he gives a parable. This is in Matthew 18. There's a master and a servant. And the servant owes the master 10,000 talents. And, and conversion from ancient Near East to present day is really hard to do. But I've seen a lot of people make stabs at it. And even a conservative estimate is we're, we're dealing with about $7 billion. Okay. So a servant owes... A master, $7 billion, the master is going to throw him, his family into prison until they can pay it off. They're not going to pay it off. They're going to die in prison. The servant cries out, oh, please have mercy. I'm going to, I'll get you your money, just please. And the master has compassion on him and he forgives him his debt. And then the servant goes out and he immediately finds someone who owes him 100 denarii, which is about $35,000 says, you pay me your money. Pay me the money you owe me. And uh, he, said, no, he said the exact same thing, basically, like, oh, please, just give me a little bit of time. I'll, I'll pay you back. And he said no, and he throws him into prison. And uh, the master finds out. Here's what the master says to this first servant. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And the master punishes him severely. And he says, your father in heaven will punish you as well if you do not forgive others. 
And, and you get Jesus' point, don't you? We've been forgiven more than $7 billion worth of debt. And we know that because the penalty for our sin is eternity in hell. And even more than that, the Son of God had to come and die in our place. It's immeasurable how much we owe the Lord. And now you have someone who has sinned against you. 35000 is not a small amount, right? Very few people can say, ah, no big deal. Just let that go. But here's what the gospel does. The gospel says, I have been forgiven so much so I can forgive others. It's not easy. It's hard. I'm not trying to minimize it. I I have been brutally hurt by people before in in pretty profound ways. Um, It's hard. It's hard, but the gospel makes it possible. If you struggle, if you you wrestle with with unforgiveness, pray. Ask, Ask the Lord to help you in 2021 to be forgiving person because you have been forgiven much. Our last or the third point this morning comes from verse 14. Look with me at verse 14, if you will. And above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You hear what Paul's saying, right? He's saying, put these things on like a garment, like put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility, but above all, above all, put on love. Why? He tells us, love binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's like this. Uh, Imagine I I point to, to John over here and I say, be compassionate toward John. You're, you're supposed to. Just, just do it. It's quite another thing for you to love John. To care for John. And then you see John hurting, and the, and the compassion just flows. You see compassion and kindness and humility, all of it flows from love. The Christian life cannot happen without love. That's why Jesus said all the laws, all the prophets, they hang on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So my prayer for all of you this year would be the prayer that Apostle Paul had for those in Thessalonica. He prayed, he said, I know of all your love for one another. Grow in that love. Grow in that love. May we strive to love each other well in this new year. Well, that's a lot of things, right? It's a lot of things to work on this year. Why do it? That's my final point. This morning, I want to leave you with with motivation for why you should strive to do all these things God is calling us to do. And I get that this morning from verse 12. Look back at verse 12. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. It's so easy to skip over those little phrases, isn't it? But, but we're to put all these things on because we've been chosen by God. We're part of his family. He's made us holy and we are beloved by God. It's been several years, but I, I read a few years back uh, White Fang by Jack London. Many of you guys read White Fang? It's a fascinating book. It's about a book. Uh, it's part wolf, part dog, right? White Fang is three-fourths wolf and one-fourth dog. And there, there's this fight within him. Am I going to be like a wolf or am I going to be like a dog? And he has several masters. He's an Eskimo that captures him, makes him a sled dog. And he learns to fear man through this this Eskimo. He does right and he gets fed. He does wrong and he gets beaten. And then that one sells him to this cruel, vicious man who beats White Fang when he does wrong and he beats White Fang when he does right. And he's so confused. But see, this master wants to craft him into being a killer. He, he wants to make him a, the best dogfighter the world has ever seen, and, and it works. He, he kills countless dogs. He even kills a, a lynx, a wild animal, a, a wild cat. And uh, he seems to be unbeatable, but then he goes against a bulldog. And White Fang grossly underestimates this bulldog, and the bulldog um, chomps down and, and locks his jaw. It's done. It's completely done. He's going to work his way up to White Fang's neck, and it's going to be lights out. There's nothing White Fang can do. And there's a rich gold miner called Whedon Scott, and and he comes bursting in at the last minute, and he rescues White Fang. He's disgusted by what's going on. He ends up having to pay for White Fang for his freedom, and he tries to rehabilitate White Fang, and... He has high hopes, but it just it seems like it's a lost cause. White Fang is too broken. He's too vicious from all that's gone on in his life. And um, this, this man, uh, Scott, has to put him down, so he thinks. He tries multiple times. He has compassion. And he said, I'm going to give him a little more time. And finally, it comes down to it. He's on his way to kill him. And White Fang, something happens, it, the light bulb goes off, and everything changes. Like, like he realizes, this master actually loves me. And, and he calls his new master his love master, and, and love wins. And, and here's why that story is so powerful to me. Because if, if you love Christ, if, if you have put your faith in Christ, then you have a rescuer. I have a rescuer. I have someone, after I was brutalized by this world, I was ravished by others' sins against me. If you and I are honest, we're ravished by our own sin against ourselves and others. And like White Fang, we were without hope. But Jesus came. Jesus came. 
And he is now our love master. He, he rescued us whenever we were without hope, and that has made all the difference. And so this year, as you live your life for him, what is your motivation? Set your eyes on Jesus Christ. May you live for him and long to see him face to face. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, after all that you have done for us, how can we not but turn from our sin and live for you? I pray that you would grow us in all of these ways, compassion and kindness and humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and above all, love, Lord. And I pray that you would remind us that we are yours, that you have purchased us by your Son. We are beloved in your sight. Help us to live in light of what you have done for us, we pray. It's in Christ's name. Amen.